You're listening to the First Baptist Rockdale Sunday Sermons Podcast. First Baptist Rockdale is a church dedicated to making disciples who make disciples. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Uh, we're walking through the book of Hebrews. We're in Hebrews chapter 7 today. The good thing about starting at Hebrews chapter 7 is there's a very low chance that I'm going to start at Hebrews chapter 6 and start reading to you from there because there's a big 7 telling me to start there. But Hebrews chapter 7 uh, is an interesting chapter in the Bible. What, what's going on, the author of Hebrews uh, does this weird callback uh, to a very minor character in the Old Testament. Uh, you know, and I, I enjoy a good stand-up comedy uh, set. Uh, I know not all stand-up comedy is uh, what I would consider to be good for you to hear, uh, top to bottom. But a good stand-up comedian uh, sets something up 30 minutes ahead of time, and then like when you've forgotten about what he's done 30 minutes ahead of time, or she, all of a sudden it's like, bam, and you're like, oh my goodness, that thing, they, they've been setting that up for 30 minutes, a 30-minute long joke to get the call back to the reference back there. You'll see this in good writing as well, in good literature. You'll see this, like it's called foreshadowing, right? That's what the English teacher told me back, right? Back in the day, it's foreshadowing, right? But a good writer, right, gives you hints of things early on in the book, but you don't process it that way until it hits you later. And you're like, oh my goodness, that was, they set that up in chapter two. Here I am, you know, seven weeks later. I don't read that fast, right? Here I am seven weeks later, and they just brought it all the way back to me. What, 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 what creative mind did that? That's what the author of Hebrews does today. It's an, it's an amazing callback all the way back to the book of Genesis, to a minor character in the book of Genesis, a guy named Melchizedek. And I'm going to say the word Melchizedek like a million times today, okay? So if I butcher it at some point through there, I'm sorry. But here we go. Hebrews chapter 7. This is what uh, the author of Hebrews says. He says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, the king of righteousness, and then he is also the king of Salem, that is, the king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. Okay, so this callback, all the way back to Genesis, and what's going on is you have, you have Abraham, or Abram, and, uh, and he's out uh, going to rescue his nephew Lot. Lot was kidnapped or taken captive uh, by a group of kings led by some guy whose name I can't pronounce, Cheddar Lemire? I don't know, right? This Cheddar guy takes, takes Lot uh, and, and says, uh, I'm going to take you. He takes all these little like city-states. And so this king has captured Abraham's nephew Lot. And Abraham says, I don't like that. And so he raises up a band of people and he goes and he beats that king and his three friends. It was a kind of a, a, a tag team ally going on there. Four kings and Abraham conquers them all, takes his nephew back with him. And he says, this thing is done. On his way back, he runs into this king named Melchizedek. And this story takes, you know, all of like six verses in the Old Testament. And Melchizedek shows up out of nowhere and disappears into nowhere. He is like this enigmatic, like, who is this guy? What is this guy? And if you were just to read the story, it's a story that you would probably pass over just to move to the next little narrative in Abraham's life. 
right? Getting towards like, when's Abraham going to get an heir, right? Then we start focusing on Isaac and Ishmael and the, the drama that follows there. And we forget all about this Melchizedek guy, right? And what happened when he met Melchizedek? He goes to Melchizedek and, he, and, he, and, he, and Melchizedek is this priest king of Salem. And Salem, we think most likely, is Jerusalem, the same mountain that Jerusalem ended up being on. Salem means peace, as, as it's told here. Melchizedek's name means king of righteousness. Um, and so what, what we have early on in the Bible, and you have this all throughout the Old Testament, is these types of Christ. And I use that phrase, types of Christ. It's not that Melchizedek is like a Christ as well. It's that part of him points to something about Jesus. You see this all throughout the Old Testament. You know, Isaac can be a, a type of Christ, right? One who was obe obeying his father up to the point of death, right? Willing to obey his father even up to the point of sacrificing, being, being willing, able, and laying down to be sacrificed by his father, right? It points us forward to Jesus. Not that Isaac is a, a Jesus, right? You have the, the bronze serpent that's lifted up, and anyone who was bit by a snake and looked at the serpent would live, right? And then later on in the New Testament, it says that's Jesus, right? He is the one lifted up. We'll look to Jesus. We will live, right? There's death everywhere else. There's life found in finding Jesus. That, that's the way typology works. And Melchizedek is this type of priestly king that Jesus is the perfection of. Right, Melchizedek is this type of king slash priest that, that inside of Judaism they didn't have. In Judaism, you had priests, and then you had you know little tribal leaders, and they were separate all the way through. There was never a king slash priest. David did some priestly things as far as eating some sanctified bread and stuff, but he was never a priest. He never would have accounted himself to be a priest, right? And so in Jewish life, they were separate. But before Abraham, before Aaron, before the priesthood began, this man Melchizedek was a priest and king, and he is a type of Christ, the perfect priest, the perfect king, right? And so when, when Melchizedek's name is translated, right, he's the king of peace, he's the king of righteousness, and the idea is like what he kind of was, Jesus fully is. Right? He says he didn't have any genealogy. He doesn't, his mother and father aren't listed. And not everyone's mom and dad is listed in the Bible, but in the book of Genesis, lots of mamas and daddies are mentioned. Right? If you don't believe me, read, I don't know, Genesis like 4, 6, right? 5, 4, 5, I guess. Right? You get all sorts of names. So-and-so had so-and-so, had so-and-so, had so-and-so, lived, died. Pretty big numbers at the end of that, right? All throughout the Old Testament, you have genealogies over and over and over again, right? It leads us to good jokes like, you know, Joshua, son of Nun. And we're like, ah, he didn't have a dad. But no, he did. His dad's name was Nun. Okay. If y'all don't like the Bible jokes, I understand this. We'll move on. Okay, here we go. But Melchizedek is this type of Christ. And it's a callback to the very beginning. One of the things I love about this callback all the way back to Genesis, by the way, is it shows, like, while there's debate about who wrote Hebrews... Right, oh, was it, was it Peter? Was it Paul? Was it someone else altogether different? We don't really know who wrote Hebrews, right? But what we do know is who wrote Hebrews. It's the same guy who wrote Genesis, right? Genesis was written by God, right? And God said, here's a little, like, story that takes almost no time about this guy named Melchizedek, and he's got some weird things about him that made him kind of mysterious. We just move on past him. But God's like, I'm going to bring him back up later. Because when I give my son to you, I'm going to show you how that guy helps you understand a little bit more about my son. 
What a beautiful thing that is that God wrote the whole thing, right? From Genesis all the way to Revelation, right? The only other time Melchizedek shows up is just one verse in Psalm like 110, right? It just shows up one verse, and, we, and, and it's quoted over and over again throughout Hebrews, right? He's like, here's this verse that shows that he was a priest forever, a priest in the, in, in the order of Melchizedek. It's just over and over and over again. Uh, but guys, it, it's just like he's just this mysterious character. But he's to point out something about Jesus, that he's this perfect king, this perfect priest, and he's righteous, and he's the prince of peace, right? He's all of these things that we've been told. And then we move on to verse 4. It says, see how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoil. So when Abraham came back from the fight, he gave Melchizedek, Melchizedek's a different, somewhat minor character in the Bible. He gave Melchizedek uh, this, uh, this, this spoils, 10%, a tithe of his spoils. He tithed to this random priest king from Salem. And those descendants, verse 5 of Levi, who received the priestly office, have a commandment in the law to take tithes from people, that is, from their brothers, though these are also our descendants from Abraham. But this man, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. Yeah, so so what, what he's pointing out here about Melchizedek is that Melchizedek's priesthood, who Melchizedek was, predates everything that the Jewish religion was built on. The entirety of the Jewish religion was built on this kind of like seed of Abraham that led to the 12 tribes, that led to the creation of the priesthood under Aaron, and then all of the rituals that followed from that. Right, the entire like, religious structure that, that was going on in the day that, that Jesus entered into the world was constant sacrifices. What a, what a, what a rough job. But these people who, who had this rough job, right, they, they didn't have any special qualifications to have it. They were just born in the right family. It was family business that they were there. They were they were sons of Levi, and then they were specifically sons of Aaron. And if you were in that genealogy, if you were a guy and you were in that genealogy, you know what your job was? You're going to work at the temple for 30 years, from about the time you're 20 to about the time you're 50. Then you get to retire, which is kind of nice, I guess. I don't know what the priest retirement is at the end of that. Right? But then, then you're done. Your service is no longer needed. The next batch of 20 and 30-year-olds will move into your spot, and, and it will be constant. But it's constant work. Because, you know, you would sacrifice an animal because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. And what you and I both know is that sin is a greatly increasing thing. Every person in this room brings sin along with them. Almost daily, we bring this stuff with us. Almost daily. And so these guys were constantly sacrificing. And the sacrifice could cover the sins that have passed, but not the sins that were in the future. And so you would sacrifice, you would be clean, you would be washed, you would be ready to go, and then the next day would come, and if you were a faithful Jew, you would need to go back with another couple birds, or another goat, or another lamb, or another bull, or another ox, really depending on how rich and how bad you were, right? right? You would have to go back, you'd have to do it again, and again, and again, and again, and it never stopped. But Melchizedek was a different type of priest. He didn't come from that line. In fact, he was outside of that line altogether. He's not a child of Abraham. He's not a child of Levi, Abraham's 
great-grandson, grandson? I don't know, great-grandson maybe, right? He's not a child of Levi, right? He's not a child of Aaron. He's this outside person who's a priest of the Most High God. That means he's a priest representing the righteous God, Yahweh. That's who he was, he was, he was, he was the first like, known priest of Yahweh. So outside of the whole order that Judaism set up, and the reason he shows up in Genesis is so it's like there was this some sort of devout worship going on, but it points us to one who's outside of that order. You know, Jesus is not a child of Aaron. Traces genealogy back, he goes through, through Judah. Hail, hail, line of Judah. Yeah, we know that song? No? No? Some of you know that song. God bless you. If you don't know that song, you probably know verse 2 of how great thou art, though, don't you? Don't you? Yeah, with the woods and forest glades, I wander. I mentioned one song that I... By the way, verse 3, this is all aside, by the way. Probably could be done in staff, maybe. We'll do it here. All right, verse 3 of how great thou art is super lyrically strong. Super lyrically strong. Verse 2, really a weak effort really a weak effort. But some of you like the nature verses. We'll keep doing it. <laughs> right? But Melchizedek uh, was before Aaron. He's before. He's a different type of priest. And Jesus is just like that. He doesn't descend from Aaron. He doesn't descend from Abraham. He's outside of it. He's greater than it. Abraham went to Melchizedek and said, here's my spoils. Bless me. Because he saw in Melchizedek someone greater than him. The one that God had said, I will make you fruitful and multiply. Your, your, your descendants will cover, uh, be as numerous as the sand on the seashore, the stars in the sky, the whole world will be blessed by you and through you. That was the promise God gave to Abraham. And Abraham goes to Melchizedek and says, you're greater than me. Bless me, please. Here's a tithe. Jesus is the one greater than all others. He's greater. He's outside of the systems that were built. He's something better and altogether different. Abraham saw it in Melchizedek, and we see it fully in Jesus, the one who's before Aaron, the one who's before the entire Jewish establishment religion that goes out of there is better. There's a better path going in verse 11. It says, now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, uh, for under it the people receive the law. Yeah. What further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek? Rather than one named after the order of Aaron. For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belonged to another tribe for which... Uh, no one has ever served at the altar, for it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, as I said, and in connection with the tribe of Moses, he said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. Go down to verse 23. It says, The former priests were many in number, because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. What Jesus does, right, being this, this priest who was before Aaron, this one who's outside of Aaron, what Melchizedek gives us a picture of is this priest who predates all of that other stuff there, this kingly, better priest, right, that, that blesses 
Abraham. What Jesus does, though, through that is he recognizes or he fills the need that was already recognized by the people. The people could see it. Priest come, priest go. Priest come, priest go. This guy rises up, serves for a term, goes away. His kid comes in, serves for a term, goes away. It's a constant revolving door. As we experience that in the church of leadership, by the way, right? Like there's a wall of pictures out there. There's, I'm the 25th pastor of this church. I didn't know that uh, until this week. I did a little math. On the thing. I'm the 25th pastor of this church. Uh, this church is like, uh, how old are we? 150 years old? Be 150, almost 150 years old, right? And I'm the 20, 25th pastor. What a privilege and honor that is. But that means there's been a lot of turnover <laughs> over 150 years. A lot of guys coming in, rising, falling, rising, falling, coming, going, coming, going, going here, from going there, all, all along the way. Good men, probably all, right? I don't have any issues about anybody who came before me. Good men, probably all. But there's something about just that transient nature, even in, in church leadership, that leads us to think there's got to be something better, more stable. Right, more stable. And that's, and that's in Judaism. Right? There's got to be something more stable than another priest rising up, another guy coming to power, another, another, another. And Jesus is that one. And when Jesus rose from outside of the established order, right, he lived forever. He didn't serve on the basis of bodily descent, but he served on the basis of an indestructible life. I love that phrasing, by the way, an indestructible life. And he still serves today. But the work that Jesus did was not a constant repetition. It wasn't that he was going to go to the cross today, and he's going to go to the cross tomorrow, and he's going to go to the cross the next day, and the next day, and the next day. No, Jesus went to the cross once for all. Because his sacrifice was better. And the person offering the sacrifice was better. The gift was perfect, right? This lamb that was slain, like the lamb that you bring as a Jewish person... Uh, would be the best version that you have, but it was never as good as the life and the, and the love and the person of Jesus Christ. It was always substandard. And the person who offered your sacrifice would have to sacrifice for himself first. Right? I feel that sometimes. Right? People come to me for prayer, and I'm like, i got to pray about myself first, because I'm, I'm not in a spot right, to, be, to be doing that. Right? So the, the priest would have to offer atonement for himself before he could offer atonement for you, because he was broken. And he was going to be gone in 10 years, 20 years anyways. It's constant. Jesus is something different. Guys, what, what, the reason that the church has stood for 2,000 years is because the power of what the church is built on is something that's solid. And it's not to say all the churches that have been built on that are solid. There's all sorts of fragile churches. But I mention it oftentimes during the invitation, right, that, that like this church, we're not a perfect church. Because I know, even if you guys were all perfect, which, let's be honest, come on. But even if you all were perfect, I'm not. I'm not. I, I struggle. I stink. I got bad days. Like, and I'm the under-shepherd. Right? Like, I'm the guy leading. So if I'm broken, Lord knows this church is broken. But the thing that I'm trying to build on is super soft. Right? That solid rock, that foundation, right? That Jesus Christ, his sacrifice, his death, his burial, his resurrection, that is solid. As long as we build on that, the church will stand, as long as the church is building 
on that foundation. Jesus was better and he was needed. The church, they, it was aware. Everyone could see it. This process isn't going to work. Right, we're, we have people concerned about like, climate change. Right? And like, we can't keep this industrial revolution blah, 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 we're spreading and carbon going up in the air. I don't really, like, I'm, not a, I'm not a science expert, okay? And I'm not here to talk to you about whether or not there's any, like, whatever, because I know people have all sorts of strong opinions about things. But what I am saying is people can see, like, hey, there's a problem in front of us. And I think that the people in, in that day can look forward and be like, hey, there's a problem up there. Like, we're going to run out of animals because I keep yelling at my kids, right? <laughs> like, I keep, I keep yelling at my kids, and, you know, this guy cut me off on his donkey, and I cussed him out, right? Like, i got to stop doing this. And we're going to, like, I already gave him all my flock away. I'm stealing my neighbor's flock, and I've got to sacrifice for stealing his sheep. And i got to steal another sheep to, to pay for that one, right? And then you're borrowing from Peter to pay Paul, and the whole system doesn't work. It's just, it's untenable. As the people grow, it's, it becomes so massive. There's no end to the sacrifices. And then Jesus comes in, and then in an instant, ends them. Like in an instant, on the cross, all of it was done. It was needed. Jesus saw that it was needed. God saw that it was needed and said, let's get this one outside of the system to come in and to fix it. For Verse 26 says, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. That's Jesus. Holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did it once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men and their weaknesses high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Christ is that high priest. Perfect forever. Once for all. And then your response to that is to stop going the old way. Right? We're so drawn back to the old way of paying for what we've done. Because you have sinned, because you have done wrong, because you have messed up, you try to pay penance constantly. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read my Bible. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to give this. I'm going I'm to make sure I pray like this. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to. It's not about you. You can't fix it. You broke it. Jesus fixed it once and for all. Stop going backwards. Stop going back. It's better on this side of the cross. Why do we always rush to the back? What, what is that about us? What, what is the frailty inside of us that always drives us backwards to some sort of like ritualistic atonement that we want to make for ourselves? We want to go to God and say, God, I, I, I'm going I'm to make this right. You can't make it right. You made it wrong. Every time you make it wrong, stop trying to make it right. It only gets worse. Right, I hear this often, right? Like when, you, when you're digging a hole, and I do this, I dig some holes sometimes with my mouth. I say, just put the shovel down, and then I think, no, if I can just get a couple more words out, I'm going to fix it. No, it gets worse. Guys, we just make it worse. You're the problem. I'm the problem. So Jesus, so Jesus is the solution. Stop rushing backwards. Stop seeking absolution in, in some sort of like, I'm going to do it right this time. There's a lot of people who commit to doing a lot of things, thinking they're going to make peace with God by doing something. 
Right? You wake up one day, your life is a mess. And you say, God, if you get me through this, then I'll X, Y, or Z. Then I'll go, go back to the church. Then I'll, uh, you know, then I'll you know, give my money to this cause. Then I'll, then I'll, then I'll. Guys, that's all. That's the, I'm not, like, like I'm, you should come to church, obviously. I'm pro. I'm a churchman. Right? But, but it's not about that. Don't, don't go backwards. Rush forwards to grace. Jesus died on the cross. He offered a perfect sacrifice, and then he was done. Right? I love the fact that he sat down at the right hand of the Father. He's like, and the work's been done. You know who didn't get to sit down? The priest. Constant. You just finished like slaughtering this animal, burning it, dividing it up, and doing everything. You think, whoo, that was good. You're covered in blood. All right, I'm going to go. Oh, my goodness. There's a line 100 people deep. Another person. Another person. Never done. Never, ever done. But Jesus was done because what he did was effectual. Once and for all, he offered a sacrifice so that we could be free from the stain of sin. We could be free from the consequence of sin. And our great king, high priest, came for that purpose. To free you of the burden of sin. Would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power in the blood. Right? Would you? Would you be free from it? Are you, are you wanting that today? And some of you are believers in Jesus. You, you have a faith in Christ, but you're still living in bondage to the power of sin. Because you keep rushing past the cross to something before. To think there's freedom in going to Sunday school or church attendance or uh, charitable donations or service in your community or being kind to your neighbor. All, by the way, great, wonderful things. That's why we we corrupt good things and turn them into God things, right? We don't corrupt bad things. We're not like, I'm going I'm to punch somebody today for no reason, and then I'll be absolved from my sin. I mean, some of you might. I don't know. Most of us don't go that way. We try to think of good things that we can do. If I do enough good things, then maybe I'll, I'll balance the scales. Stop. Because you're never going to be free that way. And you're going to live this, like, powerless impotent Christian life, making no effect in the world around you because you're too busy chasing your own sin. When Christ says, I've already taken care of your sin, seek grace. Right? The, the, the face of Jesus, there's grace there. That doesn't mean to abuse it. I'm not telling you to live licentiously and just to sin carelessly. I'm just saying, stop. Stop constantly trying to fix your own problems. Jesus fixed it for you. Melchizedek is this type of Christ, this one who lies outside the system, this one who is a different character altogether, and he's given to us to point us to something better than even him, which was Jesus. Like it says, you know, he doesn't, he goes on forever, but Melchizedek died, right? He ain't around anymore. You can't go off to Israel somewhere and see some, like, you know, 2,500-year-old dude, like, hey, guys, I'm Melchizedek. No, he's good and dead. And dead forever. Uh, forever. He's been dead for a really, really long time. But Jesus lives today. 
I just hear hymns from my, like, we, we serve a risen Savior, right? That's who we serve. That's the guy. So guys, let's, let's serve him today. And part of that is to, to stop serving ourselves and to stop trying to fix ourselves and just to fall at the cross for forgiveness. So if you're there today and you're struggling with sin, maybe you're not a believer in Jesus. Maybe you think that the way that you receive forgiveness is by being good. I tell you, you're not good. Right, you're not. The best person in this room, you're not good. The Bible says you're a wicked, wicked sinner. Damned for hell. Right, that's where you're going. Congratulations. But, but, goodness, Christ died for sinners. And you're one of them. Praise Jesus. So if you're that, if that's you today, bring an invitation, you can come talk to me. I would love nothing more than to talk to you about how, how you can know for sure. Christ died for your sins, rose from the dead, and you can be free from the burden of your sin forever. But if you're a Christian today and you're living totally swallowed up with this ritualistic obedience that you've gone backwards beyond the cross, I ask that you put your faith back where it began. Right. Right. You get the church to, I guess the letter to the, was it the Ephesus, right? You've forsaken your first love. A lot of us have forsaken our first love, Jesus Christ, for something else. We need to go back to Jesus today. You know, back in my day, that was rededication. Back in my day, when I was a young man. Rededication. Some of y'all, some of y'all need to rededicate your life to following Jesus Christ. I don't mean you have to come down here publicly and say, hey, I'm going to do that. But some of y'all need to. You've been, you've been living the wrong way. Your focus has been on doing the wrong things to fix the problem, which has always already been fixed by Jesus. You need to go back to grace. What a beautiful thing grace is. That's why the favorite song is Amazing Grace. Because we couldn't do it without it. Let's pray.